Well, we made it, kind of. <laughs> Some of us made it uh, to the final session of The Art of Neighboring. Uh, we, we've been through a lot. We've talked about a lot. Um, and some things are not going to hit us until we get later on down the road and we find these moments where we can interact with our neighbors, and some of it, it's hit us pretty hard immediately. And we realize, wow, I don't know my neighbors as well as I'd like to, or um, I'm not as open in my life for these opportunities that God presents to us to get to know the people in my life. And I don't know how this lesson has hit you, um, but if anything, I hope that you have walked away taking... Jesus' command to love God with everything that we have and to love our neighbor as ourself, that not only have we taken it a little more seriously, but maybe we've taken it a little more literally as well. Because if we don't love our literal neighbors, who will? Who will share Jesus with these folks? Uh, and so I'm, I'm excited. I have good news and I have bad news this morning. It's, it's kind of bad news. Maybe some of you will like it, but... I know there will be some in here that don't like it. The good news is that I have an uh, amazing, uh, really just a fun, exciting neighboring story. I knew that coming into my last session that I would have to have some kind of story to show y'all that I take this seriously as well. Um, and so earlier this week, I got my Frisbee came in. Uh, I play ultimate Frisbee with a bunch of young adults on Sunday afternoons. Uh, and so I finally got my own. I went online, bought my own, and it came in the mail about Monday or Tuesday. And so when Darian got home from work, I said, Darian, do you want to go outside and, you know, I can throw my new Frisbee and uh, that kind of thing. She said, sure, we can go throw the Frisbee. Uh, and she's like, you want to go, where do you want to go? And I said, can we go, let's go in the front yard, right? Let's, let's try this little experiment of moving our backyard to our front yard and see what happens. And folks, I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating. We spent 15 minutes, 15 minutes in our front yard throwing the Frisbee. And we met four of my neighbors, four of my neighbors that I never, I probably would never have met. Some of them I knew, but Darian didn't. Others, one just moved into, into our neighborhood, brand new house. The other one uh, just found out he has a pregnant dog. <laughs> I mean, just, you just learned random things from your neighbors. But, right, I, met, I just met them, right? And who knows where that's going to go? Who knows what other opportunities are going to come? But I know Patina and Daryl right? And I know the neighbors that just moved in, right? I know these people a little bit better just because I did one small thing. And you can do it too, right? This, is, this isn't rocket science. This isn't having everything figured out. It's, it's just about making subtle changes in our life, taking off the blinders, and realizing that there are other people living their lives right next to us, and that we can have an immense impact if we just try in their lives. That's right. Yeah. And for those of you who didn't hear uh, a book, it sounds like, of a lady that moved her backyard to her front yard, who took a, a picnic table, painted a turquoise, put it in her front yard, set up a prayer box eventually, and even had like her mailman stop by and write in a prayer request. And we don't, we don't know what kind of impact we can have unless we make these small changes in our life. Okay, so that's the good news. Now the bad news. <laughs> the bad news is I, I've been telling you all along that this is a practical class, right? We're, we're going we're gonna to just talk, you know, practical things that we can do, things that you can take from here and take to your house, take into the week, and you can do something with. Uh, well, today, uh, we're going a little bit off of that um, because today is an important day. It's our last day, and it's important for us to define and clarify a couple of things, and that involves getting into the text. Um, and so today is going to be less practical 
and it's going to be more uh, time in the text, in the words of Jesus, which you're like, why is that a bad thing? Well, you haven't been with me yet whenever I get into Jesus and the text, and I go down rabbit holes, and who knows where we're going to end up, because I love these stories, and they, Jesus has a way of just punching us in the gut. Now, you probably don't hear that often in church, <laughs> but he does, right? Jesus can make you laugh and then punch you in the gut in the same sentence, right? He, he has a way of doing this, and in, in our today's text, he's punching, right? Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, and some of you uh, maybe we'll walk away a little challenged um, from it. So, but first, can you think of a person that really bugs you? Right? Just, just think of that person, person that just gets on your nerves, right? Everybody's chuckling, and yeah, now you got something to say, right? <laughs> right? There's just something about them, right? You don't know what it is even. There's just something about them that leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Maybe it's somebody you've had an interaction with, right? You have history with, or a lot of times it's people we don't even know, right? It's just this type of person, right? There's something about this type of person. Maybe it's the way they talk or the way they hold themselves up, right? But you can see, you can spot them out. If you're at a party and they come in, I mean, you, you can sniff them out from a mile away. And what do you do with people that you don't like, the type of people you don't like enter into a room? Well, you, you avoid them, right? You do, you do everything. Maybe you size them up or whatever you might do, but a lot of times we just avoid them, Right? We, we try to drift along the edges. We just try to move our way around them. Right? And this, this happens in our neighborhoods as well. Right? There, there are certain people that are just not like us. Maybe they bug us. Maybe they've done something against us. And so we're going to do everything that we can just to avoid them. Right? No harm, no foul. You're not going to start a confrontation. You're just going to try to get away from them. Right? Here's the reality. And this might hurt for some of you, but the reality is, is that you are somebody's type of person. Every single one of us, you are somebody's type of person. That when you walk in a room, no matter what you do or how you act, you didn't do anything. It's just the, who you are, and there's nothing wrong about it, but there is something about you that other people do not like. <laughs> Maybe. Right? There's just something about you. And, and again, it's, it's nothing against what you did. Right? You could say, I'm, I'm innocent here. I didn't do anything. It doesn't matter. So if you want to take this on a, uh, on a personal level, how do you want that person to relate to you? Think about it. If, if a person just doesn't like you for whatever reason, no reason, just they don't like your type, how do you want them to interact with you? Or if you want to take this on a spiritual level, what kind of prayers do you want them to pray for you? What prayers do you want God to answer? Right? And these are the questions we have to think about because the reality is, is that you are not as good as you probably think you might be. Now, other of you, you, you can be a little more humble and you realize, but a lot of times we don't even realize that we're just not people's types. Right? And that is just part of being human. Right? There is tension. When a bunch of humans get into a room, in a church, in a business, in our neighborhoods, it doesn't matter. When you get a group of people together, there is going to be tension. There's going to be friction. But as a Christian, whenever you decided to follow Jesus, you no longer are simply allowed to write people off. Right? You have eliminated that option. And you have 
completely decided, because you have experienced the forgiveness of Jesus in your life, to have love and forgive the people in your life. No matter what they look like, or how they act, or how much of a distaste they put in your mouth, you have eliminated that privilege. So what do we do? Right? So I want to I spend a moment, I'll open it up a little bit. Um, I want to share about a conflict that you had with a neighbor, or with just somebody. Um, it doesn't have to be intense where you just got into a fist fight or anything like that. No, just what's a disagreement that you have, or maybe that you witnessed. Maybe that would be a little bit easier. What's a, what's a disagreement that you experienced or you witnessed with a neighbor or somebody that you know pretty regularly? Yeah, so dogs, <laughs> just dogs in general, often cause this kind of tension because it's hard to control dogs and how they act and, and other people's dogs. And some people think their dogs are like their children. And so if you say anything bad against them, how dare you? I mean, I mean so yeah, the dogs is a great example. Any others that you could think of? Yeah. Wow. Okay. I... <laughs> I don't know if you heard that. Uh, somebody that Jerry was studying with, um, big, big guy, um, uh, basically was coming off pretty aggressive in his studying with people outside of Jerry uh, in his faith. And so Jerry confronted him at one point, I'm sure in a nice way, confronted him saying, hey, bring the temperature down. And they got into a confrontation over the phone and the guy ends up driving to Jerry's house in his big truck and comes out with a bat. Um, that is a scary situation. So, um, yeah, another. <laughs> uh, okay, so we get, we get the idea. Okay, we get the idea. Conflicts happen. When you put people together, they're not always going to agree. What do we do? Right, and this is where we're going to spend time in the text. So if, if you want to follow along, and I encourage you, everybody go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be, we're going to start in first verse 43. And this is probably a verse that you, you have read, you have heard a lot growing up. Hopefully we're going to talk about some things that you haven't heard or haven't considered. Um, but this is, a, this is a small little section of a much bigger sermon or lesson that Jesus gave on a mountainside one day. Right? Many people call it the Sermon on the Mountain, in fact. It's so iconic. Um, in fact, all of the book of James, uh, Jesus' brother, is basically a reflection of this one teaching. Right, this one sit down. And if ever, okay, if ever you think that you have your life figured out, or you have your faith intact, or you have everything that you need, right, go back and read Matthew five, six, and seven, because Jesus will most likely take an idea and flip it on its head. Right? He'll take you, shake you up a little bit like a snow globe, and then set you down and, and watch you swirl. Right? That, that's that's what Jesus does. Right? And we're gonna spend time talking about that a little bit this morning. So we're going to do what we have been doing. I'm going to ask somebody to read verse 43 through 48, and then I'm going to ask somebody else, preferably with a different translation, to read it again, and then I'm going to ask one other person to just tell us what's happening here in their own translation. So who, who's willing to read it first? Yeah, good. So um, in essence, it's, it's saying, look, you, you've heard it said to love your neighbor and defining who is my neighbor. Is it people that are like me, like other Christians, or in this case, other Jews? Or is it people who are not like me, that look a lot different than me? And I love what you said, Jesus gets to the heart of the matter, right? And we, we, don't, we often are like the Pharisees, and the, like we like to just kind of graze the surface, and Jesus digs it 
digs down. He peels the onion a little bit. So yeah, good. What stands out to you? What? And there, I, am, I am digging for an answer here, right? But there is something in particular about this that should stand out to you and be like, wait, what? Yeah, so they've been telling you. She, so Carol points out that you have heard it said, right? And, and what did they hear it being said? What, what does it say? Love your neighbors and hate your enemies. What? Wait, wait, what? <laughs> right? I, I have looked all through, I mean, I've, I don't know about you guys, but I actually have read through Leviticus and Numbers and all of those. And I, I mean, I've read through, and I, I mean, I've seen people who have embraced this, right, to, to hate your enemies. But where is it ever written to hate your enemies? Where, where, where is that text? It doesn't, it doesn't say it. So, so, where, so what are we supposed to do with this? And I, I think Carol hits it on. It's, you have heard it said, right? Jesus doesn't say the Torah states it or scriptures say it this way or, or the, the law of the prophets has it written down this way. No, what does he say? He says, you have heard it said. This is, this is what the talk is around the neighborhood. And I think Jesus is saying, you are misunderstanding one of the most fundamental and, and elemental things about being in my kingdom, about being a follower of Jesus. Right? You, are, you are misunderstanding this. But, but before we can get into what he is wanting us to hear, we have to get into the minds of the people who are hearing this for the first time, because it's easy for us to point fingers at them and say, well, those, 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 those Hebrews, they just, they just cannot get it right. They just, man, they, cannot, they can just not love their neighbors for whatever reason, right? But I want you to feel the tension here. Okay, I want, you to, I want you to feel the tension of, of who they are being called to love. Right? I, I nerded out this weekend, and I, I did some reading on tax collectors. I know, good, good reads, uh, very exciting. <laughs> but, but it is so fascinating when you think about, when you think about tax collectors okay, during this time. Right? Because, because often the Roman Empire is genius. This is how they were able to reign for so long. Instead of taking foreign people and, and plopping them inside of the, the nations that they owned right, and, and causing kind of tension there, no, they would pluck out people from that nation and use them as puppets. Right? They would be their puppets to do as they will, what they want. That's what a tax collector is. It is a Jew who is basically turning against his fellow Jews and taking from them what the what he wants, right? There's a tax, right? A set tax that, that the Roman Empire will get, but the tax collector gets to decide his cut, right? He gets to decide how much he's going to receive from the transaction. And it is so fascinating. Whenever you actually look at the coins, right? They, they found some coins from first, second century um, around this area. It's probably the coins they use. On one side, you have Augustus, right? The Caesar, you have the king of the world, right? On the other side, you have, uh, it's a depiction of a Roman soldier dressed out in his full gear, and he is standing on top of another man. Can you guess what man he's standing on top of? A Jew. I have conquered you, right? And the Jews are having to pay their taxes to one of their fellow Jews who betrayed them, and that Jew who betrayed them is handing that coin back, saying, have a nice day. 
Right? Do you feel the tension a little bit more? Right? And if they don't have enough, that fellow Jew, the one that grew up with you as you read the Torah and recited the Torah together and the Psalms, right, who grew up with you in your same village, has the full authority to slap you across the face whenever you don't have enough money to publicly shame you. He has that authority. Or what about the Roman, the Roman soldier, right? This, this foreigner that's come in. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that, the, being the oppressiveness of the Jews. But this Roman soldier who you're sitting under a sycamore tree in the shade, getting a nice break from the hot sun so that you can have crops, so that you can pay your taxes to this Roman empire. And this soldier comes along and throws his pack at your feet and says, I'm tired. You need to take this the rest of the way to my house. And there's nothing you can do. In fact, if you disobey, he can just bust your kneecaps if you wanted to. Full right. This was a debate between the Jewish people. Who is my neighbor? Who do I have to love? Right? Who, who is in a right? Is it, is it Zacchaeus? Right? The one who I grew up with but is a traitor who, who betrayed his people? What about, what about this Roman soldier? Do I have to love him? And so where does Jesus get his understanding? Where is he pulling this from? So let's go to your favorite book of the Bible, Leviticus 19. Everybody's like, oh, no. We're going to spend time in Leviticus. I promise. I promise. It's going to be interesting, right? I'm going to try to make it interesting for us because it's so fascinating. Whenever you can get into the minds of these people, right, and you can feel what they're feeling, and all of a sudden you begin realizing, oh, I'm feeling the same thing, right? It's so, I love it. It's so fascinating. So we're going we're gonna to start in verse 15 of Leviticus 19. And I just, I'm going to read this, okay? I'm going to read it, and I want you to, if you're listening, I want you to, to pull out. If you're reading, I want you to point to who is my neighbor in this text. So this is from God to his people. Who is my neighbor? So let's, let's read it. Verse 15. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbors fairly. Youth, did you pick that up? Yeah, favoritism. We're reading through James right now, so they should have picked that up. Verse 16, do not go spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Who is my neighbor? Uh, in the NIV it does. But if anything, you'll say, like verse 16. What does the end of verse 16 say? Or the, yeah, who is my neighbor here? Your people, fellow Israelites, your people, your tribe. That's your people, right? That's, that's your neighbor. That's who you're supposed to show this love to. Your neighbor is your tribe. Okay, now we, we, got, we pulled back one layer. Okay, they're wrestling with this. This is, this is in the back of their mind. This is where the debate is coming from. Okay, but any, and Jesus would have been well rehearsed in this. He would have known exactly what's happening here. And he would have read a little bit further as well because he's devout. He's, he knows his scriptures. And so he would have made it all the way to verse 33. 
Verse 33 of the same chapter in Leviticus. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you are foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now, who is your neighbor here? Foreigners. Yeah, the people of the nations, the, 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 or maybe people would understand the Gentiles or these people not like you. And you're, just love them, right? Accept them. Let them come in. If they, if they cause you no harm, don't worry about it. They're, they're okay, right? We'll, we'll, we'll deal with them. But that's not who we're dealing with. Okay, so now we can get out of Leviticus. Everybody can turn back over to Matthew, right? Whew, that wasn't so bad, right? Your hands are a little sweaty, but we made it through, right? We get it, okay? I, my neighbor are the people who are just like me and maybe even these foreigners that are peaceful. They come in. They're not causing any turmoil, right? But that's not who we're talking about in Matthew chapter 5. Who are we talking about in Matthew chapter 5? Your enemies. The people who hurt you. The people who are oppressing you, right? This is a raging debate during Jesus' time. This is why you will see on multiple occasions Jesus reminding people to love your neighbors, and you'll hear these stories of him helping people not like him and people like the tax collectors and the Pharisees who are oppressing them, right? That's why you will constantly see this theme. It'll keep reoccurring because this is a huge debate during this time, right? Israel, Israel has been under the thumb of an oppressive nation for three times the existence of the United States. That's over 600 years Israel has been under the thumb of an oppressive nation. This is a huge thing to them. Who do I have to love and who do I not? And Jesus expands the debate. He opens it up. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of the Father in heaven. Right? The love that God commands in Leviticus 19, Jesus says, is the same love that you are to have, but you are not to have any boundaries to your love. Right? It includes your people, your tribe, and the foreigners. It includes your friends and your families. And yes, it also includes your enemies. The ones who are persecuting you. The ones who are not like you the ones who are actively pushing you into the dirt, grinding away your existence, you are to love them as well. If that doesn't punch you in the gut, I don't know what will. And so where does Jesus get this? <laughs> like this is a completely new understanding of what we're to do. Where does Jesus get this knowledge? Where is he? And you know where he gets it? He gets it in the most unlikely places. He probably in a place you would never expect. He gets it from weather patterns. Weather patterns. That's where he gets it. Right? Did, did you catch it? Right? Read again. He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Right? Somewhere along the way, Jesus started to notice how things work in the world. Right? So again, let's imagine that you are a good, faithful Israelite, okay? And you, you're walking along the path and you come upon a crop, a plantation that is 
that is blooming, that is just prospering with produce. I mean, everything good is coming from this land. What does that tell you about the faithfulness and God-fearingness of the owner of that land? Does it tell you anything? It tells you nothing, right? Yeah, yeah, you cannot judge who is a follower of God by who is suffering and who is prospering. Did you hear that? I want you to hear that, right? Listen again. You cannot judge who is a follower of God by who is suffering and who is prospering. You can't, right? Because the same person, you may have come upon that crop, and that person might be a devout Jew. They may observe Passover. They may make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They may read the Torah and pray and and be on their knees, tearing their clothes in front of their God. They may do that, or they may be greedy. They may treat their workers terribly. They may abuse their wife and their family. Who knows? We don't. God sends the rain and the sun to them regardless. People who deserve and people who don't deserve the rain and the sunshine receive rain and sunshine. This is, this is getting deep, folks, right? Right? We're, we're wading into the deeper waters here because if there is something... Because Jesus realizes there is something in the weather that reveals God's bountiful generosity. Right? Something in the weather, something around Jesus. And, and I love, uh, if any of y'all know Dallas Willard, um, amazing pastor, author, theologian. He, he wrote this book, Divine Conspiracy. I'm reading through it right now. And he talks about Jesus had a God-saturated view of the world. And basically what he meant is everything that Jesus witnessed, everything that he did, all of his life, he could see God in it. From the weather, to the conversations, to the way he did things, to the way people interacted, he could see God in those moments. And also, Jesus was a devout reader of the Psalms, right? And we see it. Um, See how quickly I can get to Psalms 145. You're writing this down. I encourage you to write it down. This is why invest in bookmarks. And here we go. Right? Jesus would have read this growing up. He would have recited this growing up. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people, they extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom. They speak of your might. Why? So that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Right? So what do we do with this? Because right? Jesus is tapping in to something that is far bigger than us. But before we, we tap into it ourselves, we have to look at this word love a little bit deeper. We have to understand this word love a little better. Right? Because I, we keep talking about you have to love your neighbors. Right? What does that mean? Right? Does that mean you need to have warm, fuzzy feelings towards your neighbors, especially your enemies, the ones that hurt you? Well, certainly we don't mean that, right? And that's because the word used in the text is most likely, throughout all of the times he mentions love, agape, right? You may have heard that word, agape. Uh, and it's often poorly translated into our word love. And I say it's poorly translated into the word love because love is one of the most confusing and unhelpful words in the English dictionary. And some of you are nodding your head because you know, right? I love tacos. I do. 
They are, I can eat a taco, I can eat a breakfast taco, and then a, a lunch taco, and then have some fish tacos for dinner, right? I love tacos, right? They, they make me feel good, right? I also love Disney, right? And I would, I, by no means, would I ever eliminate all of the memories, all of the, uh, all of the leadership that I've learned from, from Disney himself. I, I would never sacrifice all of that knowledge, eliminate Disney completely for tacos. I just don't love them that much. I love them, but I don't love them that much, right? There's some nostalgia. There's something deeper embedded into me about Disney. It just, it means something more to me than that. But I also love my wife, and I would eliminate Disney and all tacos in the world to have my wife. So how do I love Darian? <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, that was her birthday gift, so got that one off. <laughs> right? So how do I love my wife and love tacos, right? It's, it's not even on the same caliber, right? It's not even on the same level, but we use the same word. Do you, understand, you get it, right? Do you see it? How confusing this word can be, how unhelpful this word can be, and we're told to love our neighbors and love God and love other people and love ourselves, and we use the same word, and we don't even know what it means, right? So stop doing that right? Stop, stop taking warm, fuzzy feelings or whatever you think about love. Take it away from this word that Jesus is using when he says, love your neighbors, right? Agape, the easiest definition I could find, something you could take away with you, right? Agape is talking about an attitude or a mindset that you have of, of a certain person. You have accepted a certain person for whatever reason, and it's backed up with action that flows from that mindset, there is action involved in the mindset that you have established, okay? So God and Jesus has pointed out the most basic example, something we can all witness of God's love. God loves his people, no matter how righteous or unrighteous they might be, no matter how just or unjust they might be, no matter how much they love him or how much they hate him, God loves his people. And he backs up that love for his people by what? By giving them something. Giving them rain and giving them sunshine. Right? Jesus is tapping into the very heartbeat of God's love. Right? And he is asking us to do the same. See, Jesus says that you basically, you have no right. You have no right on who to love and who not to love because God has chosen to love every single one of us, right? And James talks about this too. We talked about James being a reflection of the Sermon on the Mount, right? James talks about this too, right? When he talks about favoritism and you, you treat the, the rich that come to your party, you sit them at your right hand and you, you, you talk to them, but when the poor comes in, you sit them at your feet, you, you put them at the end of the table. Why do you do that? Because God looks at both of them equally. He shows the same amount of mercy and love to both of them. So what gives you the right to choose who is more important than the other? This is the very heart of Jesus' message. So let's take all of that, tuck that away in the back of our minds. Let's read the end of what we just read. So starting in verse 45, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And if you love those who love you, 
What reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, does that sound familiar? What are you doing, or what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans, or that's not a derogatory, don't even the Gentiles, the people outside of the Jewish nation, don't they do that? Okay, and then we get to the kicker. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And many of you are just like, okay, close the book, I'm done. Because <laughs> there's no, I'm not getting that one, right? There's, there's no way I can accomplish this, right? Does anybody have, anybody's translation have a different word there for perfect? I hope so. Anybody have a different word there for perfect? Somebody. Nobody? Come on, translation. Y'all can do better than me. Yeah, complete. Yeah, uh, to its completion. That, that's a better translation. Um, so the word here is telos. Okay, maybe you've heard that word. Maybe you haven't. If you're a, a, a dork like me, go ahead and write that down. It's T-E-L-O-S. That's the word here, right? And perfect, I think, is a, a pretty rough translation of it. Because a lot of times when we think perfect, we think absolutely flawless through its completion, right? And when we're talking about God, when it's making that comparison with God, it's easy for us to come to that conclusion, right? A better word used here, one that might resonate a little bit better, is mature, right? How do you reach maturity? You got to be pretty immature leading up to it, don't you? You got to make some mistakes getting to it, right? So keep that in the back of your mind. Somebody, so the word telos, here's a, a definition of it. Uh, somebody who has reached a completion point in their development. Somebody who has reached a completion point, has made it to the end. I know I'm, I'm starting to, I'm losing people. We're getting into language and words and all this. Okay, here's what it means. Here's what I want you to pull away from it. This is both to be perfect, to be mature, as your heavenly father is mature. This is both a command as much as it is a promise. I want you to hear that. This is a command just as much as it is a promise. There is something about when a human being intentionally steps over some relational divide, right? Some boundary tribal line, right? That, that difference that marks you from them, your enemies or people who are not like you. There is something about that act. And whenever you perform an act of concrete benevolence, of generosity, of kindness towards that person, right? Somebody outside your circle, or maybe not even just outside your circle, somebody completely not like you, somebody who hates you, and somebody who you're not very fond of either. There is something about that moment. Whenever you go outside of every natural intuition of a human, and you look, for, you look in compassion, and you perform generosity to that person, there is something in that moment that Jesus says that humans are, don't, sorry, Jesus says that humans are never more like God than they are in that moment. Kind of like growing up, yeah, maturing, right? Whenever we, we step over that line, we step towards that person who is everything not like us, and we show some kind of act of generosity towards that person, Jesus says that humans are never more like God than they are in that moment, there is something about love, and not that fuzzy stuff, right? Not the love of tacos, right? But choosing to look at people with dignity, despite the things that that person has done against you or done other, against other people, and looking to that person with compassion, 
and acting on that compassion. Jesus says that when his, his followers can do that, they are lining up with the image of God. That they are tapping in, they are lining up with the very heartbeat of God when they can find the strength to do that. Be mature, therefore, as your heavenly Father is mature. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm glad you bring up that, that father-child relationship, right? Because Jesus uses this again, in fact, um, uh, in this very, this very section of his preaching. He basically says, uh, how many of you, when, a, when, a child, when your child asks you for bread, you give him a rock? Right? Or you, you ask him for this, you give him a snake, right? You don't do that, right? Right? You don't give them something that's useless or dangerous, but you also will keep things from them, right? Because you are at a more mature level than they are, right? And learning to trust in our Father. Yeah, good. So what happens over time when we fail to forgive people? What happens over time when we fail to forgive people? Yes. Yeah, yeah, your, your heart grows hard. It grows dark. It hurts you more than it hurts them. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's like eating poison and hoping they would die. Yes, it kills you on the inside. Yeah, somebody once told me that being a good neighbor is going to change you more than it's ever going to change them. Yeah. What else? What, what else happens? And we're almost out of time, but we got a little bit more. What else happens when you fail to forgive? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we have texts about that. The same mercy that you show to people, that measure of mercy will be shown to you. Yeah. What else? Anybody else? What happens over time when we do forgive people? The opposite. What happens over time when we do learn to forgive people? Yeah, there's something about us that is attractive, where people want to be around us. I'm glad you brought that up. It reminds me, it makes me think of the tax collectors. Again, I, I spent time this weekend reading on tax collectors. Jesus ate with the tax, I want, just consider this for a moment. Jesus ate with the tax collectors, okay? He had meals with them, multiple. They would come together. They wanted to be with Jesus, even though they knew that Jesus was preaching against everything that they stood for. He, he stood against everything or most things that they stood for, right? And yet they wanted to be with him. Isn't that fascinating? They wanted to be with Jesus. There was something about Jesus that was contagious, that, that caused curiosity, that, but they knew they were accepted in his eyes. They were loved by him. There was something about him. Yeah, good. What else happens when we learn to forgive people. What happens when you forgive people? We learn to love. Yeah, absolutely. We learn the real kind of love, not just the fuzzy feeling, not just um, being accepting. Okay, I have my neighbors over there. We don't agree with each other, but we'll just keep our distance. No, no harm, no foul, right? It's actual love, backing that love up with action. What else? What else happens when we learn to forgive? You, you regain. It, it does something inside of you. You regain some peace. Yeah, they learn. They learn to forgive because they have been forgiven by you. And you have been forgiven by God. And it's a chain reaction. 
In conclusion, real relationships, and this is just talking about the art of neighboring in general. This one was the art of forgiveness, the final part, the art of loving your enemies, right? Real relationships are always messy, right? But if we were to love people the way Jesus commanded, we need to be willing to push through the things, push through things when they get complicated, right? Being a good neighbor isn't something that we can just check off our list. It isn't something that we can just end our day and say, okay, today I was a good neighbor. I'm done doing that, right? It has to become a way of life for us. And it's the primary way that God can use us. Whenever we tap in to the heartbeat of God and love the people who don't love us. When you're at odds with people, it can be a real challenge. I get it, right? It can be tempting to simply ignore people, to try to move on from them. But Jesus asks us to do more. Often as we seek to love our neighbors, God changes us more than he changes them. And loving our difficult neighbors, and yes, even our enemies, has the potential to transform us into the people God wants us to be. This is part of the genius of the great commandments. Living it out isn't always easy, but it'll always be worth it. And now I'm parting from you, taking all of my knowledge and whatever I have left, and I'm leaving you with this. Go and love your neighbors. Be intentional with them. Seek relationships with them. And I promise, whenever you open those doors, God will use it, and oftentimes he'll do more inside of you than he does inside your neighborhood.